Welcome in to the At The Yard podcast. Today's guest is UNLV recruiting coordinator Corey Vanderhoek, who will take us through his playing days, the impact of playing for and coaching under some legendary college coaches, and his own transition into the coaching game. All that and much more on episode 50 of the At The Yard podcast. Welcome back to the At The Yard podcast. Really excited about today's guest, UNLV recruiting coordinator, Corey Vanderhoek joins me. Corey, thanks for hopping on the podcast, man. Absolutely, Les. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. So obviously pretty wild time for everybody. Uh, you know, this, I'm, like every other coach I've talked to, I'm sure this is probably the first spring you've been off a baseball field in your life. So, you know, how, how are you holding up, you and the family and, and the kids and, and your wife? And, you know, how are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing we're doing good. I mean, the, those first uh, couple of weeks, it was kind of, you know, an adjustment, and then there was some, you know, that moment where you're kind of like, you kind of appreciate this time that you get to spend with the family, um, and then you know, there's days where you're itching to get back on the field, um, but you know, it, it, just like everything in, in the rest of our country, there's there's good days, there's bad days, there's crazy days, but all in all. Um, you know, my wife's clutched up and she's made me a nice little home office so I can do any of the Zoom and Skype and all those type of meetings that I need to do to stay in touch with our current roster and uh, our future roster. So yeah. I've been able to make it work. And again, just not many coaches get to sit down and eat, eat three meals every single day with their wife and kids at this time of year. So just trying to look at the positives of it. Yeah, that that that's awesome. I mean, that's that seems to be kind of the... Uh the message everybody is saying, right? Like, Hey, we, I get to spend so much time with my family this time of year. And you know, that's not, that's not, un, or that's not the usual uh, process for everybody. So that's awesome. Glad to hear you guys are doing well. So let's jump in, man. You, you, uh, you played your, your high school ball there at uh, Edison high school and uh, you know, got uh, drafted there at the 25th round by the Mariners. And you, you took an interesting route after that. You went, you ended up playing at Golden West, uh, Golden West College there down the road. And uh, I'm curious, what was what was the thought process of, of going to Golden West? Was it, you know, was it your only option? Were, were there other options, but you felt that th- that was the best one? Take us through that process, if you will. I think going back then, it was quite a, quite a ways back now, but my thought process then was kind of, um, we'd come off my junior year of winning um, a CIF title. Um, we had David Huff and Jeff Gilmore and Tim Robertson, some of the really good pitchers, and we were all coming back for our senior year. Um, I ended up going into that senior year um, knowing that I, I had some makeup work to do in the classroom. Um, and so I knew that potentially junior college was going to be a really good route for me um, from the academic side. Um, and then – you know, my senior year, I really I only played about 12 games before I broke my hand, had a season injury. Um, so whether or not that that helped me or hurt me in the draft, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, um, <laughs> looking back, it probably helped me because I, I couldn't play that bad if I wasn't on the field. Um, <laughs> but no, so you know, I went then, and, and back then the um, it was pretty common for in the junior college ranks to have a lot of guys that were drafting follows. So that was before, you know, you could, you had up to a week before the next draft to, to sign because the team had your rights for almost a full year. So in that unique situation that I was in, I thought junior college was a great opportunity. Um, I was recruited by 
a couple other junior colleges, obviously the, all the local OEC ones. And then um, I actually took a trip out here to Las Vegas uh, to CSN. Um, was very close to coming out here and, and joining up with these guys. But uh, I just ended up figuring, hey, if I'm going to do the junior college route, I'm going to stay home in Huntington Beach and play for the hometown squad. And I had a lot of uh, really good friends that were going there off of a uh, Connie Mack World Series championship team that summer before. So we kind of kept the band together, and we had a couple of really good years over there at Golden West playing for Burt Villarreal. Yeah, and, and you know you were fortunate enough to be drafted again uh, after your first year at Golden West uh, in, in the forty second round, and I mean I think a lot of guys would have jumped at the opportunity to start their pro career. Then what was what was your mindset of of coming back for a second year at Golden West before you know moving on, and we'll, we'll get into the other stops you had along the way there, but. Uh, you know, what was that mindset? Because I think a lot of times you hear guys say, well, I'm going to go to JC Ball, you know, play for a year, get drafted and, you know, start my pro career. But you decided to come yeah. back. Yeah, I think, I think it was honestly I, I, it was maturity. I think, um, you know, I matured over that year of being injured and kind of suffering a, a couple of, you know, bad injuries um, that led me to that junior college route. And I kind of just, I don't know, I, I felt like, I wasn't physically fully back to where I was pre-injury. Um, I, I got banged up a little bit that freshman year at Golden West, and I just felt like I didn't want to start my pro career off, you know, on the disabled list or just not fully physically ready to go out there. I thought I needed to mature more physically than mentally. I thought mentally I was ready to do it. And kind of the more I got a taste of college baseball, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved the team aspect. I loved being with the boys. Um I loved, you know, having a coaching staff that you knew was going to be your coaching staff and, you know, you weren't going to move midseason. I just – I really, truly just kind of fell in love with junior college baseball and, and college baseball. And a lot of my best friends and obviously my uncle was an assistant coach at Cal State Fullerton at the time, Rick Vanderhook, and they had their thing going. And I was always going out to the games on Friday or Saturday night or if Fullerton was out of town, I'd drive down to Blair and watch a game there and – you know, I just really, really fell in love with the beauty of college baseball. Yeah, then, well, you had you had an opportunity to go play in what many consider, you know, the premier college league. And, you know, you spent a year at South Carolina and playing there for Ray Tanner. What was that experience like? I mean, coming from Huntington Beach, you know, coming from a JC to going to play in South Carolina where you got 10,000 screaming fans every night. Right. And I, and I had the... Uh... The privilege, and uh, maybe it wasn't such a privilege to re- to replace a legend in Landon Powell, who had an unbelievable <laughs> career in South Carolina. So I was coming in as a uh, as a switch hitting catcher that had to maybe uh, statistically one of the best switch hitting catchers of all time in college baseball. I had to replace him, so that was a pretty tall task. Uh, I got off to a pretty good start there. Uh, I loved it. You know, the SEC uh, and their commitment to sports is is probably second to none. Uh, you know, just being down there in the South, you know, those college towns, that, that is it. That's the show. Um, so I loved my time there. Um, again, I, I had a – and it wasn't a season-ending injury, but I had surgery about the second weekend of SEC play. I was able to make it back uh, and start a few games in that SEC tournament in Hoover. And then we uh, we made a good run in a regional at Georgia Tech and ended up losing in that, in that final game to advance to a super regional. Um and that was that was an unbelievable experience. That was my kind of time to get away from home for the first time. You know, going to Edison High School and then 
you know, just driving a couple miles down the road to Golden West, and uh, I went about as far away as I could to to test myself. Um, I succeeded in some areas and I failed in others, um, but it, looking back on that, it was a really, really great experience. And I ran into Coach Tanner a couple of years ago in 2017 at the College World Series, and you know, I told him, um, you know, we didn't always see eye to eye on things, but you know, I told him looking back at that, um, you know, not just baseball wise, but that year under him and that coaching staff, um, I was really able to kind of find myself as a young man. And that coaching staff was unbelievable that I played for, by the way. If you look, look back at it now, I kind of talk about it all the time. Um, you know, I, Mark Calvi is the head coach at South Alabama, doing an unbelievable job there. Uh, Jim Toman was a recruiting coordinator and catching coach. And Monty Lee who is the head coach at, at Clemson, who was our volunteer hitting coach. And Jim Foreman's now the head coach at Middle Tennessee. And then obviously Ray Tanner has, uh, has moved on to be the athletic director at South Carolina. So yeah. to be able to play for a staff like that, you didn't really appreciate it at the time when you're a cold 20-year-old from Huntington Beach. You, uh, <laughs> you know, looking back, um, man, that was, that was a pretty special time. Yeah, you, you end up coming back to Cal State Fullerton for your last year of eligibility. And, I mean – what a squad that was, right? I mean, you guys made an incredible run to Omaha and, and I mean, just loaded. I mean, you look at not only the coaching staff there, which was pretty darn outstanding as well. Yeah. I mean, nine guys drafted from that team. Uh, You know, I know you're really good buddies with with Justin Turner still to this day. And I mean, just coming back and, and just talk about that because you said, you know, you guys lost that last game an opportunity to go to a super regional, but then you, you guys kind of fulfilled that right back at, at Fullerton, making it all the yeah. way to Omaha. Uh, it had to be pretty special for you, you know, going with kind of the, you know, the hometown team, a hometown kid going back to Omaha and making that run. Yeah, no, it was pretty special. Um, you know, I, I, I always in my mind, you know, growing up and doing that and being around Goodwin field and, you know, Augie and George and my uncle and, and the unbelievable coaches that have gone through that tree. Um, in the back of my mind, in my heart, that's probably where I always wanted to be. Um, but there was also a guy there named Kurt Suzuki that was pretty good too. Um, so the timing of everything and PJ Pilateri, and they, they kind of had the, the cupboard stocked there. So I kind of saw the writing on the wall. But, you know, coming back as a senior and knowing that I was still going to be able to probably go there and maybe even just platoon or, you know, DH here and there or something like that, I, I figured – um, you know, professional scouts like winners. So I wanted to go somewhere where I, I knew I could win and I knew I could contribute. And, and I knew they, um, that year they didn't have a ton of depth at the catching position. So I said, I thought I could help out. I thought I could play with some of my best friends. And um, by that time I'd already kind of gone away and done my own thing. And um, I felt like, you know, me and my uncle had a good enough relationship to where we can make that, you know, family coach player relationship balance out, especially only having to do it for one year. Um, and it was great, man. That was an unbelievable experience. And again, you know, you talk about coaching staff and I think there's a common theme, probably why I am now in the coaching profession. It's because of all these guys that I played for, um, you know, in junior college and then at South Carolina. And then when you talk about the staff that I played for at Fullerton with, you know, George Horton speaks for itself and, uh, Rick Vanderhoek, my uncle was an assistant. And then, you know, we had Teddy Silva, was one of our assistants and Jason Gill. And you look at all these guys, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years where they're all at 
it's pretty incredible. And then, you know, we even had grad managers at the time that were in grad school and that was, um, Brian Ward and Brett Lingren. So I think about those six, the six guys that I got to work with on a daily basis, really, uh, they really inspired me to, you know, kind of by the time you get to become a senior and you know, you're going to sign for, you know, a bus ticket or a thousand bucks at most, you're probably, uh, you're going to go out, you're going to make your run, but you know, you're probably going to end up finishing that degree and, and following in the footsteps of the those guys that led you. In my case, it was, it was the coaching staff. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, was it at that point, was it your senior year when you kind of said, all right, well, whenever this game ends for me or whenever the game tells me that it's done with me, is, is that kind of when you said coaching is something that I really want to do? Yeah, I think so. You know, looking back at all this stuff, you know, I, I've talked to, some friends that I'm extremely close with um, and they had some really good professional careers and, and they kind of, we talk now and, and they're finding their path maybe outside of baseball and other avenues. And they kind of say like, you know, no knock on you, Corey, but I kind of wish I would have had a, such an abbreviated pr- professional career <laughs> like you did because you were able to come back at a young age and not have to provide for a family or, you know, get right into a job that you know has benefits right away or, or things like that. Um, so me, you know, being out of the professional game, you know, a year and a half, two years after my senior year of college, um, looking back at it, you know, if you're not going to make the big leagues, it's always not, it's not really a bad thing to pretty much be done with all of your schooling and, you know, get going and being able to jump on a a coaching staff at a young age and, and learn again, you know, from the guys that you played for. Yeah. And you were able to do that joining the staff there at Golden West and as the recruiting coordinator and, and, you know, I think too often the JC ball, the JC level ball gets kind of this negative connotation, right? Like, oh, yeah. everybody wants to go D1. Everybody wants to go power five. But, I mean, you talked about it, about how playing at JC ball helped you mature, not only physically, but a little bit mentally as well. But talk to us a little bit about kind of recruiting to a JC and, and you know, what that experience is like, because obviously – you know, you're looking for a specific type of player, but at the same time, like you've got to know these guys that are going to D1 who potentially may bounce back, right? I mean, you got to know a lot about a lot of guys. Absolutely. Um, I love, I love the JC ranks, man. I still love it. I still like to recruit from it. Um, you know, it's kind of just because I think you get a lot of players when you're recruiting to there in uh, my current position and when I was recruiting there as a junior college recruiting coordinator, um, you know, you're just looking for that guy that's kind of been overlooked, kind of has a chip on his shoulder. Um, I, I like, I like the way they, they, they play the game. The good ones kind of, you know, have are self-driven, self-motivated. Um, and that's hard to find, you know, you can't really instill that in a young man. They either have it or they don't. Um, so when you can find those good ones at that JC level, I think that's what you get. You know, people joke around and call them the Juco bandits or what have you. Um, but a lot of those kids are really driven. And like I said, they have that, that chip on their shoulder. That's a positive chip on their shoulder, not a negative, um, arrogant one, but they kind of, you know, have something to prove and they kind of had to earn everything they've gotten to that point. Um, so yeah, you know, when I put my JC recruiting hat on, it was kind of hey, look for those kids that, you know, are grinders that are baseball players. That sounds like a very simple comment, but it's pretty complex because few and far between, 
um, nowadays do you really find a kid where you just kind of label, he's just a baseball player, you know, he's a, he's a baseball player. Um, and that's really kind of all I look for. Maybe a little undersized, uh, physically, you know, immature. Um, and, you know, you look for that and try to just give him the tools in the weight room and, and drills and games and it's repetition. And, you know, so many times you see a lot of them either not even make it to D1 because they get drafted or they go out and have, flourish and have great Division One professional careers. Yeah, you know, it's, an but, it's a great route. It yeah. really is a great route to this day. Yeah, I didn't. I I agree a hundred percent, and and I think that you know you, you talked a little bit about that. You, you know that it, it's hard to find those guys nowadays. You know that are yeah, you can label baseball players. Why do you think that is? Do you think you know maybe the that it's just kind of these guys are playing way too much. There's not a lot of skill development or what. I'm curious to know why you feel that way because I had this conversation recently with. With a, with another Division One coach, and it wasn't on a podcast, just on a phone call, and you know that topic came up, and and yeah. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on it because you know I know what he told me, and and I tend to agree with you, right? And, yeah. and I'm, I'm just curious to know what it is, uh, you know, you think that that is. I think you know I think you kind of nailed it on the head. I think to kind of go back to the question you asked me of how I'm handling this whole thing with, with the COVID-19 crisis. And I think this is a great time for these young kids to just kind of just put the bat and the ball down and just step away from the game for a little bit. You know, um, I grew up playing Pop Warner football. I played high school football all the way through my senior year, uh, basketball, hockey. Um, I just think so many kids nowadays are um, just baseball players. They don't play anything else. They've never played anything else. Um, I think my personal experience, I was able to get to the places that I got in baseball because of the other sports and athleticism that it allowed me to develop. Um, I think so many kids are so baseball, 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 that they're just kind of drill oriented. You know what I mean? They're not baseball players. They don't just go out and play. It's just everything is, I'm going to do this drill. I'm going to do that drill. I'm going to do this hitting coach or I'm going to do this. You know, it's no, Hey, you know what? Just go be just go be a football player in a baseball uniform and go compete and good things are going to happen. Um, so that's kind of just, that's my take on it personally. Um, I might be right. I might be wrong. Uh, but that's just kind of my personal take and my experience as a young player is I thought I was able to flourish on the baseball field due to the, you know, the toughness that I was able to develop playing football and playing hockey. You're, you know, it's short shifts of 30, 40 seconds where you're completely engaged and you're able to compartmentalize shifts and get back and get back in it. So, you know, you take that and you translate that to baseball. I was able to develop a focus and a competitiveness on a pitch to pitch, inning to inning, game to game basis. Yeah, I love that's a fantastic answer. And and you see it. I mean, I see it with my own son who's going to turn seven and, you know, they're already talking about, oh, you know, he's got to play this, got to play that, you know, in terms of right. baseball. And it's like, dude, no, like, Right. You know, he's got to do he's got to do a lot of other things. Right. And so, yeah. uh, you know, it doesn't if it doesn't fit their narrative, you know, it, it seems to be, uh, you know, you're doing it wrong. But, you know, hey, right. uh, that's another topic for another day. But, right, I know. Yeah, hey, so, hey. you know, hey, so after after 2012, you know, you 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 are hired over at uh, at Cal State Fullerton. Um, you know, you're, you're working as an administrative assistant there. And then in 2015, uh, you are hired as the ops director of operations uh there at cal state fullerton and and again i'm just looking i was looking at 
through some of the coaches on the staffs there during your time there. And I mean, holy smokes, man. I mean, you know, you're, you're talking about Mike Kirby, Dietrich, Prettyman, Hawksworth, Bomber, um, Altabelli. I mean, just a lot of guys to help you develop that knowledge base, right? I mean, what right. what, what was, I mean, in addition to your uncle, right, who who's won, a, you know, 250 games or whatever it is there. And, you know, what was that experience uh now, not playing for your uncle, but working for him. I thought it was unbelievable. Um, and, and to, you know, kind of like address the, the director of ops position, I think that's such an unbelievable um, position for coaches that are really trying to get in the game. Um, and if you're utilized the right way, I think I learned more in a director of operations role um, about really the day to day, you know, bones. You know where the bodies are buried in a program. All those things that you need to know to eventually one day maybe potentially be a head coach or run your own program. Those are things that it's kind of an entry level position, but probably where you learn the most on a day to day operations of what it really takes to you know the budget, the recruiting, the cost, and this and this and that. Um, you just think you know when you're younger, oh, we just get to roll the balls out and get to get to play baseball. There's a really there's a lot of things that really are behind the scenes that tons of unbelievable baseball guys in that role. Um, learn a lot from. I know I, I owe a lot of my organizational skills, my uh, other things that are just not, you know, in between the lines type deals. Um, and then, like you said, that, all those guys I got to work with, um, you know, a lot of them are still really close friends. Um, gosh, we had, we had a great time, uh, really close-knit coaching staffs, uh, spend a lot of time with each other, families, you know, would barbecue on, on off days and we just we couldn't get enough of each other. And we had some good teams, man. We had some good runs. Um, and I think, you know, the thing about those teams is how close those coaching staffs were. It trickles, it trickle into those, um, those players, you know what I mean? That roster, when you see a, a staff that really enjoys being around each other or working together and pushes each other, uh, good or bad in some days, um, you know, that, that wears off on them. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, in 2018, you, you kind of get your shot, if you will, right? You, you get mm-hmm. hired at Abilene Christian. Um, and I think this is where, I mean, just knowing you for as long as I've known you, I think this is where really where, you know, you got to had an opportunity to shine, if you will, right? Because right. you were recruiting your tail off and, you know, you managed to get some kids from California to commit to Abilene Christian. Um, I mean, you and I were talking regularly about kids and and i think that that is really where i I, you know like kind of you made your name for yourself if you will right i I mean Mm -hmm. that might be a little bit of an exaggeration but um but i think that was an awesome awesome at least from my standpoint and again knowing you for as long as i've known you and just to see that transition and, and see you get that opportunity and then have some success there at Abilene Christian, uh, you know, obviously short-lived, change of staff, um, it's kind of threw your world upside down a little bit. But talk about mm-hmm. talk about that experience as it pertains to, you know, really, you know, having the opportunity to be a, a recruiter at that level. Right. I think at that time it was, um, you know, kind of, you know, we keep going back and forth. I feel like, you know, that, that last dance documentary where they go back and forth and back and forth yeah. on the timeline. That's kind of yeah. where I'm at. Cause it's funny. It's a lot of these things remind me of past events. It was kind of, that was my, Hey, I'm going to go to South Carolina moment. This was my, I'm going to go to Abilene Christian and live in Texas moment. And it's time for me to go put on my big boy pants as a professional and as a, as a, as a person and a father. 
um, you know, me and my wife grew up in Orange County. Um, you know, we had our support system. That was our bubble. It was comfortable. Um, you know, I, I loved the guys I was working with. I loved Fullerton. And that was my time to say, hey, it's, you know, I need to break out of my comfort zone because nothing great comes from comfort zones if you sit in them too long. Um, so we, we decided as a family, uh, me and my wife, we sat down, we prayed about it, and we said, hey, this, this is it. This is our opportunity. Let's go. Um, I thought at the time it was Abilene Christian's first year off of that Division One, um, you know, trial period where you have to can't go to the postseason for three or four years. Yeah. It was the first year off of that, so I said, you know what, this is, this is their first year. It's, it's um, I thought it was very low risk, high reward, uh, which it was. And you know, like you said, we got some really good players in there. Um, I was really excited. We even had a kid out of Golden West, Jeremiah Bison, that was kind of that undersized overlooked kid and he ended up signing um out of golden west with the dodgers and he's still in professional baseball um so those were the kind of players that we were getting over there um it was a, it was a bummer i didn't get to coach them um brett Bonneau had been there for 20 years and 25 years maybe and decided that he wanted to make a change in his life and his profession now he's uh, the volunteer assistant over at ou where he played um and I interviewed for that head coaching job. I was definitely not ready to be a head coach at that point. But some of the players had put my name in front of the AD, and the AD was kind enough to at least give me the opportunity to interview. Um, I thought it went really well. They thought it went really well. They just thought the resume wasn't quite full enough, which it wasn't. Um, but I am grateful for that opportunity. So maybe the next time you know, down the road when I am potentially ready to run my own program, it won't be my first time you know, in front of that room or in front of that. Um, council of people that are interviewing you. So I was, I was great, grateful for that experience. I was just going to say the experience alone, right? I mean, whether you got Absolutely. the job or not, but just like you said, next time, now, now you aren't going in it with a, with a blank slate, right? And, and right. So, so, I mean, just the experience alone of going through that process was probably invaluable for you. But then you come back and you spend a year at UC Irvine as the volunteer there. Uh, and then in, in the end of the 2019 season in August, uh, you're hired as the recruiting coordinator at UNLV. Uh, so again, now you're, you know, back recruiting, doing what you, what I believe you are really good at, um, and you're doing it, you know, on the West coast where yeah. your roots are right. And, and, you know, tapping into your, your ties here in Southern California and in California in general. And so talk about that transition a little bit, you know, from Abilene Christian, you're going from Texas to Irvine where you spent a year and then, you know, now you're into your first full full year, I guess you can call it, uh, at UNLV. Right. Um, yeah, that was that was crazy. Like you said, the world kind of got, our world kind of got flipped upside down and we kind of had to roll back from Texas back to Orange County. And, and, you know, we feel like we just got there and just got settled in. And then, um, you know, that last summer or two summers ago, there wasn't much movement uh, on the West Coast as there was in years past. But I knew Ben Orloff was kind of, we've been in the wings waiting for, for Skip to, retire and um and i had in the past as an assistant me and me and ben had always kind of just stayed in touch when i was on staff at fullerton his brother uh matt had, was on the team there my first year as a, as a ga so i kind of got to know the family a little bit um and then just over the years you know i'd just send back send ben a, a text or a call just to kind of stay on his radar and we went and uh we had we met for lunch that summer um just kind of stayed in touch over a few weeks and it, yeah he ended up hire me as, as a volunteer assistant, uh, which is a, a role at UCI that they um, 
hold great value in. Um, they, they really take care of me in a lot of different ways, um, you know, financially, um, you know, family versus baseball balance. Um, ben was unbelievable in that sense. Um, anyway, that, that year was so fun. It, it was crazy because I'd always kind of been the younger guy on staff. And then I go to the staff where I'm the volunteer and I'm the oldest guy on staff. It was crazy. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd, always been the, I'd always been the kid on every staff I'd ever been on. And, and I'm here and, and I'm, I'm the elder statesman as the volunteer. Um, but Ben was unbelievable in the sense that that was his first, you know, I guess you call it his first dance. Um, and, and he was very um, open-minded. You know, he, he's by no means does he think he has to, has it figured out. He's, he's very cerebral and, you know, he reads a lot and he watches a lot of documentaries on our profession. Um, and he shares those with us and he asks a lot of questions probably why he's so smart because he asked so many questions he wanted to know you know about my time at south carolina or my time at you know fullerton or this and that and you know it wasn't a pride thing for him he just wanted to, to get better and he wanted to make his program better um you know my, my tenure was pretty short there but we won a lot of baseball games um we had a ton of players drafted um i thought we got the short end of the stick on getting into a regional but we had a lot of success um and I got a lot of great memories, and I'm just extremely grateful for, for that time that I got to spend in Irvine. I learned, I learned a lot, and I kind of, you know, didn't have to see things uh, through the Titan goggles that I had always been wearing. I got to see a program that has had similar success, you know, over the last 10 or 12 years do things their own way and see it work. And, you know, being able to kind of mix in a couple of my things here and there was great. It was really great. So, um, I always, you know, wish those guys the very best and me and Ben stay in touch. And um, so for that, it was great. I learned a lot of things in recruiting because even that year I wasn't allowed to recruit. Um, you know, Ben and JT and Danny were very, you know, open on letting me know, like, who they were watching or, hey, you know, we like this guy. Do you, Corey, do you know anybody over there um, that we can kind of make a connection with? So they really kept me in the loop, even though I wasn't physically out there on the road. Um they, they definitely made me feel, um, you know, welcome, I guess you should say, or involved in that process. So when I was able to get back on the road and I got this job at UNLV, uh, I was able to kind of just hit the ground running because um, I was already had my ear to the streets and had my eyes out there. And I kind of knew, you know, the good, uh, I guess you should call, call them honey holes or fishing holes where the players are. Um, and I kind of, in the back of my mind, no matter where I've been, whether it's been an ops guy um, whether it's been a GA or whatever, I always kind of mentally or, you know, just kind of kept myself a little, a notebook of, you know, potentially if I were to get a job somewhere, you know, these are some names that are, that are interesting. Yeah. And you, you did hit the ground running there at UNLV and you've had some success on the recruiting trail. And so I'd really like to dive into kind of your, your recruiting philosophy, right? I mean, we talked a little bit about it with the JC guys and, you know, you're looking for that kind of overlooked you know, gritty kid with maybe, you know, a, a chip on his shoulder or something to prove. I mean, I, I got to imagine that you're still looking for those types of players, uh, you know, but now you're recruiting to a, a you know, legitimate, you know, big time uh, division one program that has so much to offer. I mean, I, I got to imagine that you're probably looking at some of the bigger fish too, right? So take us through kind of what, 
the what your philosophy is when it comes to recruiting. I mean, is it, you know, I've been told when I ask this question, well, we're just looking for the best players. Well, right. <laughs> you know, that, I mean, everybody's looking for the best players, but, you know, there's only so many of those around. But uh, I'm curious, you know, what is it, you know, that makes a uh, that, that makes a, a player stand out for you as a potential prospect for UNLV? I think, you know, for us, what we're trying to build right now, and like you said, it doesn't always work to, to try to go get the best players. Uh, we try to try to find the right players that fit the culture that we're trying to build here. Um, I think, you know, when you look at where we're at as a program right now, like we can't walk into any stadium and, you know, hand out our card and, we're, and the kid's going to call us back right away. Um, we really got to do our homework. Uh, I think something that I've prided myself in um, – as a person and a professional is not burning any bridges. Um, so no matter what level I've been at, whether it's JC or, um, you know, when I was recruiting the local high schools in Southern California, or even in my time out here in the fall, I, I really made it a point to get out to the high schools and whether it's a practice or a bullpen or you know, whatever it is, just get out there and just be seen and, and get to know people and kind of forge and foster those relationships with the coaches. Um, I think so many people in recruiting have gotten away from that coach to coach relationship. They kind of just go straight to the player because they're so accessible now with uh, social media and all these other different things and ways and avenues to reach out to kids. I think sometimes coaches forget to, you know, involve the coach or the current coach or the past coach. So in that sense, I think that's kind of been one of my strengths is really just having really good, solid relationships and keeping those relationships going over the years, no matter where I'm at. Um, and, you know, so I can pick up the phone and call a coach and he'll give me an honest opinion. And I have that trust with them, you know, vice versa. Um, so I think that's kind of just been my strength as a recruiter is just having a good network of people that I trust and people that trust me that I'm going to, you know, have their players' best interests if they choose to become a rebel. And, and I think the type of player we're looking for is pretty simple. Just a kid that just wants to come in here and be a part of something special that we're building, um, you know, wants to grab that hard hat and that lunch pail and go to work every single day and, and take pride in wearing the uniform. I think that's a big deal. We want players that want to be here. We don't want UNLV just to be an option. We want it to be, uh, you know, a destination that these kids, whether they're local Las Vegas or they're Southern California, Northern California, Utah, Arizona, uh, all these bordering states that we try to pull from, um, we want this to be like, you know, I want to be a real. I want to wear that uniform. I want to have the city of Las Vegas written across my chest and take pride in it. Yeah, I'm glad you talked about kind of the bordering states and, and all the different areas and, you know, what what's your approach with that right i mean obviously i, I gotta imagine that your guys are trying to put a, a wall up around you know las vegas right and, and yeah. the surrounding and the immediate surrounding areas but you know you you obviously are, are very well connected in southern california and and so you know what is that like in terms of uh you know managing that right so i mean say for example you you've got two fairly equal players uh, in your opinion, uh, you know, one's from Southern California, one's from, you know, 20 minutes down the road, you, you know, how do you manage that? Right? I mean, are you going over the kid, you know, are you, are you more aggressively looking at the kid that's, you know, in your own backyard or, you know, are you, are you just trying to be aggressive with both? I think we, we try to be aggressive with both. Um, I think again, we go back to, you know, who's the, who's the kid that really wants to be here, really wants to be a part of this thing. I think, 
um, just talking to some local people, I think um, they've kind of said, you know, in the last year or two um, that the, the, the shift or the tide has really turned. And I know uh, Brett Harrison with PBR out here, I did an article interview with him a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, if you look by the numbers, uh, this is the first time in a long time that a lot of these local kids that are, you know, in the such and such you know, rankings um, are staying home. Um, it's, it's kind of become the, the thing to do out here in Las Vegas is to stay home. And I think, um, you know, the city has been through a couple tragedies in the last couple of years. And obviously the one we're going through right now, um, it, it's a very prideful city. It's got a lot of grit. I think those kids kind of want to be a part of it and stay at home and give their families and friends something to uh, be proud of. You know what I mean? Um, and then for, you know, coming from the Southern California standpoint, um, and recruiting, it's really unique. And it's kind of, I don't want to say it's a pitch. It's kind of, it's a fact. Um, what we can do is, is really unique as far as um, academic money and athletic money. Um, we're allowed, we're able to stack. Um, we can give a good amount of athletic, or sorry, um, academic money as well as athletic money. Um, when you're coming in, you know, from a state, a state school or a UC school, they're unable to do that. You're, you're kind of on one or the other. Um, so we're able to make, you know, those out of state and those bordering, the, it's called the WUI scholarship. We're really be able to um, make that work financially for out of state kids. And, I, you know, my pitch is kind of to the kids, hey, you know, you were able to, you know, award you this money and um, say, hey, great job in the classroom. You earned this. And you know what? You've done a great job and you've worked your tail off on the baseball field. So you get this money too. And the remainder of it is very little. So I like it. I, it feels good for me to be able to tell a kid or tell a parent like, Hey, you, you earned money in the classroom and you earned money on the baseball field. So now this is a really good fit for you. Yeah. The, the wooey is, is something I, I learned about, gosh, probably about seven, eight years ago. I had no idea it, it existed, but it's a phenomenal, phenomenal program. And particularly, yeah. for, you know, like it, someone in your position that's, that's, you know, recruiting out of state kids. And I mean, kids should really look into what that, that program is all about because it really can make the, a huge difference. Right. I mean, I, like you said, yeah. you, if you're getting a 25% ride to a, a UC school, I mean, that that's going to be a significant outlay either out of your pocket or down the road when it comes yeah. to paying back financial aid. But I mean, you have this option over here where, dude, I mean, you're going to play a good quality brand of baseball and you're not going to be paying a whole lot of money for it. So I think that's, sure. that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, you keep going back to the culture you guys are building and, you know, obviously it starts with leadership, right? And, 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 and I think, you know, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, but how do you guys define leadership in your program or, or, or how are you building towards, you know, reaching a definition of what leadership looks like uh, for UNLV? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's great because those things, those things that I said about, you know, Ben Orloff, how, how he's so, uh, how he was so open-minded to things and it wasn't always, you know, it didn't have to be done this way. He wanted to continue to learn. Stan Stolte, you know, he's been in this game for 30 plus years, coached on a number of great coaching staffs and, you know, now entering, I think it's his fifth or sixth year as the head coach here. He's always like picking my brain or picking Higgy's brain or, um, you know, Greg Maddox, our volunteer, everybody's picking his brain. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we're always same, same deal. Like, how you know what I mean? We're kind of always pushing each other, always learning from each other. And then from a leadership standpoint, we always say, you know, 
great great teams are led by players average just good teams are led by coaches so we give our players a ton of responsibility um you know kind of we try to involve them in the recruiting process believe it or not we think our current players are by far our best recruiters not even close um you know a, a darian williams or you know a bryson stott or you know kyle isabel you know fetty all these names that have come through here moved on and been you know, really successful professionals. Um, and the guys on your current roster, those are, those are your best, those are your best recruiters. Cause you know, kids, they all know each other now, you know, they've all played in some tournament or, or, or a showcase or an area code or whatever the situation is. A lot of these kids really know each other now, or if it's just through social media and they follow each other on Twitter, um, they all interact with each other. Um, which is a good and a bad thing in my opinion, but, um, but, I, but we use that to our advantage and, you know, Kids don't. Kids aren't going to lie to each other. You know, if a kid doesn't really love it here and isn't seeing himself getting better from a development standpoint, they're not going to lie to another kid that they consider a friend. Um, they're going to tell him the truth, and so we we really weigh heavily on that. And, and I think you know, turning that back into what is leadership, it gives them a lot of accountability and it gives them kind of a, a stake in the program. You know, they know, hey, we're bringing this guy in. I rode off on it. I better make sure this guy stays in line and fits in here. So that's kind of the culture that we're, we're trying to build and that we have built. And it's really unique. I think it's working out really well that we give the players a ton of um, say and responsibility. Yeah, and, and I really like the point you mentioned there about the recruiting piece, right? Because I've, I've heard that from a few guys where it's like, you know, you involve your players. Now There there is that accountability piece for them. Yeah. You know, and so it's just staying on that recruiting piece. You know, if I'm a I'm a junior in high school, I'm uncommitted. You know, I I might be interested in UNLV as a school. Uh, you know, what sort of things are you looking for in potential recruits? I mean, obviously we've talked about you know the gritty guys, the baseball yeah. player guys, but I mean, there's there's more to it, right? I mean, there's there's a yeah. hundred there's a hundred layers to this thing. So I'm curious sure. to know. I'm curious to know. What sort of what what sort of characteristics are important to you as a recruiting coordinator for you to sign off on a guy and you know say hey coach like we, we got to have this dude um, you know what what sort of things are you looking for? I think you know um, believe it or not you know going back to one of my first comments I wasn't a very great student in high school um, I know the value that that holds now um, coming from a recruiting leadership point so first thing I want to look at obviously you walk into a ballpark. I think a lot of us in this game can just go in and evaluate, okay, that's the best player on the field. Pretty simple, right? right. Um, but, you know, when you look at, okay, now where is he at academically? Because, you know, in college baseball, you, you get that 11.7 that you have to spread out over 27 players, and then you have a roster of 35. Um, you know, the numbers are, you know, they get tight sometimes. So so me and Coach Stolte, we really uh, have put a premium on, on kids that have good grades so we can – you know, utilize that, that wooey because that is just invaluable to our program. Um, so if we can find kids that, you know, fit those things that I talked about in the physical attributes and mental makeup as a player, um, gosh, those kids that have, that meet the requirements, you know, for, for some wooey money really, really take a lot off of our plate financially. Um, and then it also puts them in a, in, in a great position and, you know, they can get on campus and you can lose that wooey money if you don't, you know, keep those grades up. So it kind of gives them a, a little bit of accountability and, and keeps them really locked in. Um, we, we bring in really, really good focused individuals. And I think if a kid is focused in the classroom 
he's going to be focused on the baseball field. Um, he, like you said, he passes the eye test. Great. His grades are where we need him to be. Great. Um, you know, everything else from that standpoint pretty much falls into place. You know, he's had a pretty good upbringing. You know, he's pretty disciplined. Um, you know, he's got a good support system. Um, or, you know, if he doesn't, then wow, the kid's really self-motivated and driven. So that's a positive as well. If you're looking at both sides of it. So from that point, that's kind of just, it's pretty simple. Um, but you know, they're not that easy to find. So that's, that's really what we're looking for. A kid that has a good balance uh, of all those things. Yeah, and I think you and I uh, shared a lot of similarities in high school. <laughs> because, yeah, no doubt. Uh, you know, I, uh, I was right there with you, brother. But you know, let, let's shift gears a little bit here, and, and let's talk about the cancellation of this spring season, right? I mean, mm-hmm. as a recruiting coordinator, how has this changed the way you're recruiting? Uh, because, you know, obviously the news came out that, that you guys can't be on the road until uh, end of June, I believe it is now, and you, yeah. you know, so, but recruiting is still happening, right? I mean, just because yeah. you're not on the road, you're still recruiting guys and you're still talking to guys and you're still doing Absolutely. all that stuff. So how has it changed the way you're recruiting? And what do you think um, could be maybe a, a, a long-term benefit from the way this has changed the way you're recruiting? Yeah, I think it's changed a lot of things, not, you know, not just in baseball. I think, you know, as as a country, I think we're all realizing that we could, you know, we could probably have a little bit more at-home work balance. Um, yeah, I, I agree. It's been great. It's been great. You know, I have been able to, you know, I would have never utilized Zoom, you know, if this didn't happen. Uh, you know, I'm able to reach out to our 2020 class, and you know, I got all 11 future rebels, you know, on my screen at one time. We're able to just have open conversation, and for these guys to come on campus now. A lot of them, you know, whether they're from Southern California, Northern California, Nevada, they all didn't really know each other, you know, face to face. So, you know, us to be able to get on there and kind of talk to those guys and just have an open dialogue. You know, it's funny. Those, that first one that we did, you know, a month and a half ago, um, you know, we were just prying words out of everybody trying to get them. <laughs> now, you know, we get on there and we hardly even talk. You know, these guys are doing this and that and you know they're figuring out who's living with who and where they're going to live and it's really it's really cool to see um and and i think i've been able to connect with you know with those players as well you know they've been able to not just always talk on the phone or you know just kind of be able to sit there and you know we'll do one-on-ones with them sometimes and um but you know I, i still haven't gotten away from the roots and the you know those things like last week i just sent out a bunch of letters just handwritten notes to put kids i think that's you know kind of a lost thing in this game uh, i know when i was their age I, I loved you know when i'd get the mail and it had the logo on it and you'd get to open it up um you know it's kind of old school but i i, I think it's got an, i think it's got a nice uh, genuine touch to it and, and i think it just kind of shows that you take the time out and that you care and i think nowadays more than ever ki- kids can see right through that type of thing yeah, no, no doubt. But so, from a coaching standpoint, with with your current roster, you know what what's what's been what's been the most challenging thing for you guys to deal with with the cancellation of this spring season. I think you just you know you 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 worry about the guys. You know they've never had this much time on their hands, and they're younger. Um, not that we we got good kids; they're not going to get in any type of trouble. But you just want to make sure that they they're staying healthy. Uh, you know they're completely thrown out of the routine because. College athletes, it's such a you know, it's such a routine. It's just their day is just drawn out for them. Um, 
you know, you take pride in that and giving them structure. And, and right now you're kind of just at the mercy of this whole thing. Like we all are. So we've tried to do things. We've, we've had some guys come on our zoom calls as a team. Um, you know, like we talked about my good, my good friend, uh, Justin Turner, he jumped in on one as a surprise to the guys. He ended up staying on for like an hour and just okay. telling stories and talking, hitting, and he even helped the pitchers out with, you know, things that he sees and looks for in pitching. So, That's um, awesome. We, we've had we've had a number of different people come on and, and just kind of tell their story and share their their journey um, and I think that's really helped those guys and kind of giving them something to look forward to every week you know when we have those meetings we do them every Tuesday and it's like hey guys like you know they're kind of hey who's on this week who's on this week somebody gonna pop um, so it's been good and then you know it's been it's been fine you know we we made the best of it that's all I can say yeah that that's that's I mean, that's all we can do, right? Is right. try to make the best of it. And I'm curious, do you think this will have any long-term impact uh, on the college game? Or, you know, certainly from a, a, you know, maybe not in your case, but, <clears throat> excuse me, but from just a, a sheer numbers and rostering standpoint, right? I mean, because the way recruiting has been going the last several years with, you know, getting younger and younger, I mean, there's going to be some guys who – you know, maybe schools anticipated weren't going to make it to campus that are going to make it to campus. I'm, I'm curious right. what what you think the what you think the uh, impact on the college game is going to be just from a again from a sheer numbers and rostering standpoint. Yeah, I think it's it's it's, it's crazy. You know, and this whole thing it's hard to it's hard to say it's hard to say one thing because every time you turn on the TV or Twitter or new, whatever your your news outlets are, things are just changing all the time. One day yeah. you think, you know, this thing's almost done, and then, you know, the, the worst is yet to come. So it's hard to really kind of say, like, hey, I think, you know, this is going to have a long time, long-term impact. Um, but I think it will change a lot of things. And I, I think there's some really good positive changes that this thing could bring for college baseball. I think with the draft being so small this year, um, that, you know, maybe not immediately, but I think, you know, we're going to look three, four years down the road and college baseball is going to be filled with dudes like that may have signed, you know, in that, sixth to 15th round and gone out and had really good professional with all those guys are now going to be in college baseball. Um, and there's going to be a ton of good players and going back, you know, I'm, I'm really happy for the junior college ranks because I think the junior college ranks are really probably going to feast off this thing as much as anybody in the next year or two. Um, there's going to be a lot of really, really good baseball players that are looking for a home, uh, in this next, you know, year, year and a half. Um, I would love to see, you know, you know, I think everybody talks about it. Um, that we, that I'd love to see some more scholarships. I know that's um, a lot more difficult and detailed than it sounds. Um, I'd love to see you know the rosters expanded a little bit, um, but we'll see. Um, there are a lot of those are the decisions are up to a lot of people, a lot more powerful and smarter than me. So I just I just I just stay in my lane, and you know, you tell me this is how much money we have, and I'll try to stretch it as far as we can and make best of it. But yeah, that's uh, a lot of those things are just out of our hands and out of our control. So we just just stay to it and keep grinding. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think the JUCO ranks, which are already really strong in California, are going to just just take that next step. And I mean, it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, because you know, I mean, I think from D one all the way down, particularly in California, right? I mean, this year was a, a really really good year for for draft type players and i mean there we we have about 80 guys that, that come to mind who probably would have have had the opportunity to 
Design, who, I mean, dude, I mean, <laughs> those eighty mm-hmm. guys aren't those eighty guys aren't signing for twenty grand or whatever it is that they can no. sign for nowadays. So it's going to be really interesting. But my la- my last question for you, and, and only because you brought him up a little bit here, was was Greg Maddox, man. I mean, what's that like? <laughs> I mean, because you're talking about a, a Hall of Famer. Right. Yeah. And what I mean, one of the best pitchers to ever do it. I mean, but he's kind of a, a quirky guy from just what I've seen on TV and, and read in interviews of him. But what, what's that like? I mean, being around him every day. Yeah, he is like yeah, quirky is a good word for him. But he he's he's great, man. He is going back to like a common thing of, of coaches that I've been around that are really good coaches. Um, they all ask a lot of questions and Greg asks probably more questions than any baseball person I've ever been around. Sometimes I feel like it's like a test, like he's testing you <laughs> with a question. Other times he's just, he's just trying to learn, you know, this guy's a, you know, arguably a top, you know, three, maybe, maybe the best pitcher of all time statistically, who knows? There's all, all kinds of arguments that you can make for it. Um, but yeah, first ballot hall of famer, the resume speaks for itself. And he's always, constantly you know asking questions and hey what do you, do you would you do it this way or do you think we should do it this way or you got anything new you want to throw in there or you know i could just be in the bullpen with him watching the catchers and kind of being a second eye on the pitchers and you know he'll just ask me to take over a bullpen because you know he's just not you know seeing eye to eye at that point he's um he's great you know he but he's extremely competitive i'll tell you that much um you know he wants to, he wants to win uh, as a coach as much as he wanted to win as a player. He he brings it. You know he has fun. Um, you know he, he doesn't have quite as much pressure on him as the rest of our coaching staff does. But you know he didn't get to where he got and he didn't have the career he had by not being a competitor. Um, and that's kind of the one thing I really take away from him is um, his ability to um, be prepared for an opponent. Like we we can sit down, we'll watch film, and he'll see things on hitters that you know i've been staring at the guy for you know two hours and greg will come in in two minutes he'll be like you know such and such as you know he's doing this and i'm like oh my gosh how did did i miss that like something so simple but you know he just seen you think about you know that guy's career as a player how many games he just you know that he wasn't pitching that he was just sitting there watching and observing and learning um so for him to you know and as as uh generous as he is with with his knowledge it, it was it's a great experience forever and debt to that let, let me ask you i mean you you have what was arguably you know like you said one of the best pitchers ever statistically do you guys do you guys dive into the data piece at unlv and if so what sort of technology are you guys using uh we use we just use the basic like synergy scouting system um or we can just like i know greg and my and myself as well we really take a lot of a value and just trusting our eyes and trusting what we see. Um, the numbers stuff, um, you know, we, we, we've dabbled a little bit into the, the Rhapsodo stuff. Um, I think there's value in it. Um, I think the biggest value in that stuff is, is just, um, injury prevention as well is, is a big piece on, on that type of thing. Um, you know, because you can just see, you can see arm slots and stuff like that, but no, we don't, we're not as, up to date uh, as some programs are not that we think they're wrong or we're right. Um, we just really try to pound in the, um, their head, just, you know, consistency and confidence and competitiveness. Um, I, I still, I don't think there's, there's no, there's no app or scouting system that can, 
you know, teach that, um, wow. you know, it can, it can help you a little bit. It can refine some things, but we just want our guys to be, you know, more, more prepared and more competitive than the other team. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Well, before I let you go, Corey, we do a little thing called the uh, coaches rapid fire here. So I'm going to ask you about, well, 10 or so questions here. And uh, first thing that pops into your mind, just fire away. You ready? Okay. Yep. All right, here we go. Small ball or gorilla ball? Small ball. Country or hip hop? Mm, country. Costco or Sam's Club? Costco. College football or the NFL? College football. Favorite vacation spot? Maui. Mac or PC? Mac. Best singer on the team? Josh Sherman. Best dancer on the team? James Gamble. Favorite stadium you've ever been in? Mm, Rosenblatt. Uh, Go-to song to sing in the shower? Can't Stop the Feeling by Bruno Mars. Or is that Bruno Mars? I think. No, Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake. All right, here we go. Favorite sports team? I'm going to regret asking this. Uh, Lakers. Oh, okay. Uh, Del Taco or Taco Bell? Del Taco. That a boy. All right, Corey, man, I can't thank you enough for doing this, dude. This was awesome. Uh, th- I really appreciate you coming on and sharing, you know, all things about UNLV and, you know, kind of your career path, man. So I can't, again, thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you, man. Anytime I get a chance to talk about Rebel Baseball, I'm willing and ready. Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. I'd like to thank UNLV recruiting coordinator Corey Vanderhoek for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to check out prepbaseballreport.com for all your news and information. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard.